I kind of needed a release. Like it was just oh, okay. a lot of intense stuff, a lot yeah. of big conversations, and a lot of hard work was done, a lot of heavy lifting from a mental health perspective in the middle of this pandemic. Right. So with Shanty Man, I evolved out of the one good reason, which we still haven't done. Like we're still now just starting to promote that live and do some things. Um, but now, I mean, this is the sound of me just swinging for the fences. Like I'm just like, okay, that's good. Yeah. Let's just go have some fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and just use my body. And and this yeah. this is a very physical album. Yeah. Uh, it's about the release that music can bring when it's right. raw and yeah. and wild. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the wind in your hair when that blows out of these speakers. That's what I was trying to get. And, uh, <laughs> Welcome to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean, and we're here with a very special guest, Sean McCann. A lot has happened in the 10 years since McCann left the iconic and world-renowned Newfoundland folk rock outfit that he co-founded, Great Big C. And he's got a brand new album called The Shanty Man, which is just so powerful and really caps off the work he's been doing to also heal himself, discover his true voice, and go forward in this extraordinary journey as a musician and a shanty man. Well, my father was from uh, Cape Breton Island, so uh, he... Uh, nice. He really, very, uh, very pretty. He really put the sea in my heart, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I used to... Uh, listening to your album, Shanty Man, kind of reminded me of him in a way, <laughs> because... Uh, he, although he he was more of a crooner, but uh, he uh, he just when he would go to Cape Breton Island, he'd fall down. He'd get across the causeway there, and he'd fall down on the ground and kiss the ground. And uh, I always thought that was so amazing yeah. to, to love something so much like that, right? Um, so anyway, I always treasure that memory. Of yeah, him. it's a special place, you know. It's yeah. a very uh... Being out there on the ocean, living so close to the sea, it's uh, it's definitely uh, a powerful thing to be next to. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of powerful things in nature, though the the, the woods and the mountains. But the sea is can be, uh, you know, it's a, it's a treacherous but beautiful. What do we call it? A terrible, beautiful place. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it has an impact on your <laughs> on your life. Well, I got caught in a riptide one time in uh, California. I lived in California for young for a while when I was young, and I got caught in a riptide uh, on Malibu Beach there or wherever we were, Zuma Beach. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a riptide, but boy, you sure you sure can uh, you sure get the sense of how powerful the ocean is then because you can't get out of it, right? You just gotta <laughs> you gotta keep swimming against not against it with it somehow and then finally it lets you go it's uh sometimes it doesn't but anyway i digress so listen um the f the first thing i wanted to ask you a bit is have you have you ever been to sea on a schooner or uh, a sailing ship or something like that um you know to yeah well i grew up I grew up with all that in Newfoundland. I was born in a little small community called Gull Island, about 200 people, and uh, we had boats. Right, okay. So when I was, uh, you know, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old, I was literally roar rowing around in dories. Right. Without life jackets, I might add, in retrospect, which was quite dangerous, yeah. but uh, <clears throat> on the ocean, you know, wide open to the North Atlantic. And we, um, and I got to fish codfish for us and cod trapping and, and hand lining and I think I was the last of a generation I think I don't like that's something my kids will never know because yeah. they just don't those small boats don't exist anymore right. that fishery doesn't exist anymore that way of life doesn't exist anymore but I was the last of my kind I think to yeah. have experienced that in a real way uh, and then my, we moved into the bigger city of St. John's when I was in grade one but I, I grew up, like, all my holidays, all my summers, I spent, you know, my first jobs were literally right. working on fishing boats. So, right. uh, yeah, I'm very much uh, tuned in to that, and it, it's, it stayed with me, much like your father's uh, Cape Breton, like, Newfoundland has never left me. And, yeah. And that was, these were my formative years. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think there's something very important about that part of uh, Canada, for sure. Uh, but well, the reason I asked is because I just read this amazing story about John Lennon, 
who uh, went on a big schooner to Bermuda. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but he got caught in a re- really huge storm. And uh, he had to help uh, pilot, not pilot, but, you know, what do you call it, steer the boat because the captain was busy trying to keep the, them from going over. And uh, apparently that's what triggered his return to uh, music after he'd been away for so long. So you can kind of feel that in your album there, that the, uh, the power of the sea and the, you know, the waves and all that kind of crashing. And uh, so I, I don't know. I, just, I was just thinking about that while I was listening to your songs this morning. So the, the first thing about Shanty Man is... Um, well, before I go there, first of all, you're coming to Huntsville March 16th at the Canvas Brewery. So is it going to be a solo show, or are you bringing a band with you, or how's that going to... No, the Shantyman flies solo, yeah. and we'll be doing uh, Shantyman songs and some Irish songs. I really like that the idea of bringing back the uh, Irish music. I think that the St. Patrick's Day, and not that I'm a religious man at all, but it's very... Very much an Irish holiday, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, and a lot of my songs. My name is McCann, but my songs came from from there. Right. And uh, while I don't drink anymore, I've been sober for ten years. Right. I still love the songs. Right. And it's those. It was St. Patrick's Day that we formed Great Big Sea on. Oh, that was yeah. our first uh, our first shows. It was always. It was kind of the reason we formed a band. Right. So to me, it's it's a resonant thing. I had to abandon it for several years while I, you know, embraced my road on recovery. But it's I over the last couple of years, I've been slowly taking it back because yeah. it's not all about the booze. It's about the music, well, for and sure, the music yeah. is exceptional and very strong. And yeah. I think uh, so. I'll be doing some some of my Irish favorite Irish songs that people will know, and Great Big Sea songs, and Shantyman songs. And I think it'll just be. Um, I believe music is medicine, and I really think that this concert. This week of concerts I'm doing will be, you know, hopefully a unifying and empowering experience for everyone as we get out together face to face and sing again. Right. Okay. Well, that that you know that opens up a lot of questions I'd love to ask you. I mean, uh, you have been um, you've been very forthright with your uh, idea that song and music is a healing has a healing power. Do you want to do you want to expand on that a bit and explain what it is that you mean or and how you think it functions that way is it possible for you to yeah, articulate I th- that a bit? i think you, uh, i think music is really strong medicine and if you're suffering it's it's a thing that can really practically help you right and uh if you're suffering from mental health issues or recovery addiction issues and things like that it's really often really difficult to find things without side effects without you know, that, that genuinely help. Mm-hmm. And I've been in that boat, and I know in particular where where it leads and where it can go. And I really credit music with bringing me through. I was, you know, I uh, my addiction almost killed me. And it was music that really bought me out and enabled me to to stop drinking, to face my the truths in my life, and to change my life. Mm-hmm. And that that's a you know that's something I'll never forget. And I know many people now reach out to me and ask me how I quit drinking. How did the guy from Great Big Sea quit drinking? Right. And uh, music is one way to, that can really, I believe, really help people, and, and on on just about every level. And it certainly does no harm. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, what did Bob Marley say? One good thing about music when it hits you, you feel no pain. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah. That's an important thing, especially yeah. today. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly this, we seem to be going through some pretty troubled times, and uh, yeah, music can certainly be uh, uplifting and inspirational in a way. Now, uh, you know, there's the old story. Muddy Waters used to tell a story about how he used to use the microtones, you know, because he was a slide player, and he would use the microtones to talk to his people. And his friends about being free, internally free, right? Even though they were still pretty oppressed when he started the first play. And that's always been something I've been intrigued by. And you have uh, Tibetan prayer flags behind you. And the Tibetans, of course, really believe in the power of frequency and music. And so that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting as well. Did you, did you explore any of that in any depth? Or is that... Uh, 
Oh, I tried it all. I, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've tried everything, and I continue to try things. But yeah. uh, music is one of those things that kind of works all the time, you yeah. know, and, yeah. uh, and not just for me. Right. And um, it's ex- easily accessible to people, and we tend to underestimate its, its power to heal. Yeah. And uh, it's just very effective. Yeah. It's a very effective tool in our in our uh, our, 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 our toolbox. Yeah, yeah. To 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 get on and 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 these days, you know, with all this stuff we've been through, right. you know, addiction rates are rising. There's all kinds of issues, and it's hard to watch the news anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so I really hope. I mean, I'm just really grateful to be back at it. I've been doing living on virtual work for the last two years, and it's just not the same. Yeah. And these concerts to me mean more than. Uh, I mean, it's great to have an income again to make some money and go out but it's it's more than that for me uh i'm not part of any particular program like for me these concerts are my meeting okay they mean that much to me right and they just really empower me and make me they just fill me with hope and with strength and and i'm able to somehow use the music to to hopefully pass that along to the people in front of me right um and- and there must be an exchange as well, right? Because that energy coming from you somehow gets reflected back to you, I think. Or, uh, you know, there's a through the audience, it comes back to the stage, I would suspect. Uh, um, and, you know, and now, now one of the things uh, your, your band, Great Big C, was known for its high octane kind of shows, right? You guys were pretty energetic on stage do you still sort of maintain that like when you go out and play solo do you have that kind of because uh, you know it would look like you guys were flying sometimes on the stage you'd get so pumped up and uh is it well, is many it... nights we were <laughs> <laughs> okay but, but i still uh, i still try my best my 55 year old body is yeah. still capable of some things yeah and i will say you know 10 years of sobriety i'm not in bad shape i'm right. still able to yeah. jump around quite a bit and uh i mean i certainly sing with all my heart i sing yeah. better now than i ever had yeah so yeah, no, I still operate it. I I I just instead of flying on other substances now, I rely entirely on, on the music. good coffee. <laughs> good coffee. Yeah. Well, there's a few good coffee places in uh, in uh, Huntsville, so I'm sure you'll find some. Um, so let's uh, let's just sort of go into the album a bit, just so. Oh, yeah, let's go into the album a bit, just so that uh, audience can understand that a bit. And I'm go- and I'm going to try to schedule this show before your. Uh, your first um, appearance here in Huntsville, so that it'll you know, kind of give people an idea of what you're doing up here. And uh, please do, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. We profile the songs from the album, so people get a taste for it. That now, how did the did you on Shanty Man? Did you write any of those songs, or were they all traditional? Uh, is there a few that are yours? They're I think? all uh, traditional except for one. The last song, "On the Water," is a song about my life, like growing up on the water. What we call it on the water in Newfoundland, right? On the sea. So I wrote that, but I've been a uh, folk. I'm a, actually have a. I, I was doing a master's in folklore, studying sea shanties. Really? <laughs> when wow. the band broke up, broke out, and uh, I still owe them a thesis, Memorial University of Newfoundland. Right. So I've been the shanty man. Like it wasn't just an internet second for me, or a, you know that yeah. little brief one day where it was huge last year. Yeah. I have actually had an active shanty file for thirty years. Really? <laughs> so for me, I I know where to find them. I know where the best ones are, and uh, I just um, I was actually working on this record, and I had forty songs demoed when that whole shanty talk thing took off, and it was funny. My kids came in because you know they're. They're uh, 15 and, and 13, and they're like, they didn't really, they're not really into sea shanties, and they were wondering why I was going down this path. And then right. shanty talk happened, and they came in and said, Dad, you're going to be cool again. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I saw that, though, to, as, a, as a kind of a sign to continue. And, and uh, But the Shantyman record has been in my, in my long, in my bucket list for about a decade. And, um, I was, you know, I was going to wait till the pandemic was over, and then I realized after a year that it wasn't. I better do it. So we were, right. we reached out to Hawksley Workman, uh, who's actually from Huntsville, right, and Gordy Johnson, and they, uh, they really played really well, all remotely, no yeah. one in the same studio. All right, yeah. So it was just, it was kind of a roll of the dice, how, and uh, but but the but the end result was, you know, I think it's the strongest record I've ever made. Yeah, it's po- it's and uh, it's very powerful. Now, did Hawksley? Pl- 
like did he play the drums and like because there's a there sounds like there's that I can't pronounce it the that Irish drum that they play with that little paddle the like, boron yeah that's yeah. me I play the boron oh, the really? tin whistles the guitars oh, and do wow. all the singing actually all the harmonies and everything really and all that was arranged and and done except so I just sent it all to Hoxley and he played bass and drums and a few other weird things that he thought up in his yeah producer mind and his Hoxley mind yeah. And then we sent it down to Austin, Texas, to uh, Gordy Johnson, Big Sugar, the right. Big Sugar oh, Man. Yeah. And it was always, uh, always a. Uh, I always wanted to work with him and tried to with Great Big C, but never, never won that vote. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he, so he, um, yeah, he uh, he took it then and mixed it, and it was just. Oh. It was really intense. I think it's it pretty cool. Yeah, it jumped straight out of the speakers. Uh, the first thing that struck me was the the drumming in that. It was so powerful. And, you know, I, I played one of the songs, uh, 10,000 Miles, on. I do a couple of radio shows, and I, I put it on my show, and I had to kind of scale back on the uh, how how it just punches right through the... You know, because I have to master... I send the shows in remotely, right? I have to kind of master it a little bit. And uh, it just jumps off the the page. It's so powerful. No. Yeah. Well, Gordy, we, we, I wanted him to produce a great big C record, and um, right. we had a meeting in a in a bar in St. John's. He was in town, and one of the lads asked him, "What would you do uh, if you had a if you pro- if you produced a great big C record?" And and he said, the first thing he said is, "I take that little boron thing McCann plays there, and I'd make it loud as." Beep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, and that was I thought that was a great idea as well, but that didn't go over well with the band at all. So yeah. he kind of talked himself out of the out of the out of the gig for Great Big C. But then so I didn't forget this. Right. And he was my go-to guy. And, and now I can honestly say that the boron on the Shantyman record is as loud as beep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it it really punches through. Well, that's very interesting, you know, because I. I've uh, I've had the opportunity to meet Hoxley and talk to him several times, and he's in my mind a kind of underrated genius. But uh, yeah, he's you really amazing, caught yeah. a sound there. And so would you? So would you have been considered the producer then on this, or I guess, or was Gordy? Um, like or how no, it'd be me. I guess I'd have to wear this one. I had because I had arranged it all, and I just basically had left the spaces. Yeah, I knew I need drums and bass. I mean, first I was just going to release it as this cool indie. The whole record is recorded. I did all the stuff. Yeah. And I was going to release it as my cool indie pandemic product project, project that I did with two channels of uh, in my in my bedroom, and I still have that version. But it just seemed to me that um, I, I know you know I know a good record when I heard it, and I said it would be a disservice. So, you know, I was I decided to spend some money, which is crazy in today's market for yeah. for music. And I uh, just sent it off, and I just said, play along. I didn't give any direction to Hoxley. He just he just yeah. added drums and bass yeah. and a, cu- a couple of little sounds. And then I'm like, wow. Like, And then I was going to mix it myself, and then my wife said, you don't really know how to do that. You've spent this money, and now you, it's this. It's way better now that Hoxley's are on it. Right. Don't mess it up now in the last minute. Don't cheap out. So yeah. I reached out to Gordy, and I know he's a gun. Yeah. And, you know, again, there's no direction. In fact, you can't even really argue with him. He's just going to do what he's going to do. Yeah, and he just yeah. did it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So I surrendered that. So he definitely mixed it. So well, there you go. But, you no, know, I guess I'm the producer, but I offered zero <laughs> zero direction <laughs> yeah. to those fellas. Yeah. Because it wouldn't have made any difference anyway. Well, it, they, can, I, they know what to do. Yeah. And, again, it sounds great. It, it's a very powerful album. I, I'm going to really enjoy it. I just, you know, I just got it, actually. I, I, I never... I didn't realize it was out, unfortunately, and uh, you know, until I saw that you were coming to town, I, I reached out to see if you were available to chat with it. Now, you say you recorded all the vocals, because that's the other thing is the uh, the singing, the the power of all the singing. Not only the lead singing, like in your 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 lead vocals are very powerful, but the background, nice. the, all the voices coming together. You know, it's that. Got that big masculine kind of purposeful, you know, we're gonna get things done feel to it, you know. So how did you do that? How did you manage to sing with yourself in that way? Yeah, that's a real. Well, I had a lot of free time, so what I did was I just sang it all, and then uh, I I was thinking, how am I gonna get these gang vocals that Great Big C were famous for? I mean, that we were good at that. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, I could, I've got lots of friends that I could do it, but it's really hard to do. The best way to do that is around a microphone. Right. And um, together, you know, and I really couldn't get there. So what I did was I, I, I sang the low part. Right. And then I sang the, the, medium, the middle of harmony, and then I sang the high harmony. So I had the range to do them all, and um, yeah. I wanted to lay them all out there in the, in the event that I could send the parts. Because the hardest part about it is knowing what the part is and yeah. figuring it out. So that takes time. Then singing it is if you can do it in your range. So I, I was able to do all that, and that did take quite a bit of time. And then I was going to just try and, you know, send it out to people and say, play this, sing this, that. And I just – I ran out of time. And when I put it all together, it all – it was all good. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, let's let's do it. Right. And uh, I thought it would be too much me, like too much Sean, Sean but without, again, without any direction, Gordy uh, – Gordy didn't even notice it was all me. He just did it. Yeah. And uh, mixed I- it in there. So – you know, I think it was just a matter of persistence. It was one of those <laughs> things. I I didn't really have access. I couldn't. We couldn't gather in a room. Like I couldn't go right. in and get yeah. this. So I just did it. Right. It just took longer, and it was a lot harder. Yeah, I <laughs> but imagine. I did it. <laughs> well, you know, I would have never known that it was all your voice. I mean, to me, it sounded like a big gang of guys. You know, like something Stan Rogers would put together or something. You know, <laughs> it was. I was. Uh, I loved it. I thought, yeah. man, and you know, it it it's reminiscent of Drop Dead Murphys and a few other bands like that. I'm sure that you're fairly familiar with and uh, i have to ask you about a couple of songs um, because there's a few that really touched me um and we'll f- we'll make sure we feature those but before i get to that were, were you when you were working on this album were you also writing your book because were these all like similar at similar times or is the book the book came out a year earlier i guess right so. Yeah, we had just finished the book and had a national tour. We had a year's work lined up, or touring it. Myself and my wife, Andrea, wrote this book called One Good Reason. Right. And uh, about our story of recovery. And, you know, it's it's a very positive, uplifting book. It's a story of survival. And uh, the pandemic hit just right at the beginning. Like, And we had a decision to make, should we wait till the pandemic's over or do we release the book now? And we kind of felt like it would be a good not a bad thing. We didn't think the pandemic would last more than a couple of months yeah, or, yeah, you yeah. know, so who knew what, you know, if we know now we probably would have held it, but we thought it could do some good in a hard time. Anyway, things were rough pretty quick. So we, um, we let, we published the book and that was in April, 2020. Yeah. Right, as the, the beginning. beginning of all yeah. this. Yeah. So then we ended up doing all this virtual stuff. Right. <laughs> so everything went virtual so our, our romantic tour across Canada and most of the U.S. was wiped out. Right. Uh, but we did this. So we ended up meeting almost every day in my room here, sitting down, dressing up for virtual right. literary, lit, lit festivals and all this kind of stuff. Right. It was a yeah. weird way to live. Right. So at the end of all that, though, I mean, there's a lot of um, – it was a very difficult thing to do. This is, this is a very real and uh, book, and, you, and it's, you, we had to make ourselves very vulnerable to write this book. And, uh, you know, it's I, I, it's a great credit to her. I mean, it was just, um, it was, I'm very lucky, yeah. very lucky to be alive, and I, and I credit her with, with this. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm glad we did the work. Right. But at the end of it, I think we got, you know, at the end of all that year, like at the be- it was at the beginning of last year, I guess, when I started the Shantyman thing, I kind of needed a release. Like it was just oh, okay. a lot of intense stuff, a lot yeah. of big conversations, and a lot of hard work was done, a lot of heavy lifting from a mental health perspective in the middle of this pandemic. Right. So with Shanty Man, I evolved out of the one good reason, which we still haven't done. Like we're still now just starting to promote that live and do some things. Um, but now, I mean, this is the sound of me just swinging for the fences. Like I'm just like, okay, that's good. Yeah. Let's just go have some fun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and just use my body. And and this yeah. this is a very physical album. Yeah. Uh, it's about the release that music can bring when it's right. raw and and yeah. wild. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the wind in your hair when that blows out of these speakers. That's what I was trying to get. And uh, <laughs> well, for me, that's... it was like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's yeah, such a great way to therapy. that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> I love. It. Well, it certainly does that. I mean, holy man, it sent me back in my chair. And uh, well, I've been listening to it all morning, so I'm a little bit uh, enraptured with it right now. But um, when you do your show, do you t- do you 
do any readings from your book or do you share some of that? Is that part of your solo show or do you stay away from that sort of thing? No, I do some, the book has 16 songs, the original songs in it. So I, uh, there's always, so they've become, yeah, and that's kind of over the course of my other five solo records. Like there's, these are these songs that kind of, songs that were written when I was in the depths of my addiction and then the songs that were written as I came out of them. Like the Help Yourself record was a very, that was, that was me raw in recovery, just sober. I wrote all these songs. So all that's in there, and, and I can pull out. I've got so many songs between the Great Big Sea material and my six original, uh, six solo records, and now the book. Yeah. And what I tend to do is, you know, I I tend to l- unravel myself in the in in the songs. Like the story of my life will come out, dark and light, and right. um, in almost all the shows. But the song list, I don't really rely on set lists. I rely on the audience. I look them and and I try to. Something I never did in Great Big C, because that was more about pumping out the volume. We had the same set list for 20 years. We right. didn't, you know, we just did yeah. <laughs> just did what we did as loud as we could. And now I just, I kind of, I do want it to be more of a conversation. So I, I, I take stock right. and I pay attention and I, yeah. and, I, and I let the faces tell me what I should be singing next. Right. And I, I want to know what it is they need to hear. Oh, okay. And I'm fishing for that. Right. And um, so it's all about becoming more vulnerable. I'm, and I... I've done all this work over time. You don't really see, you know, it's incremental. But when I'm on stage, it's great to have that quiver of arrows to draw on at right. any time and for any reason. Right. So I let the shows kind of direct themselves. Oh, that'll be uh, And it's a great freedom there. It takes a certain level of bravery to do that <laughs> or madness yeah. to do that. <laughs> but it always, it, it just leads to a... It can lead to a far more enriching event in my mind, certainly not just for me, but hopefully for the audience, audience. because I don't really know what's going to be the next song, and that's a great way to live. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, because so many uh, players go out with the same set list for years and years, you know, so yeah, that's a brave way. Well, of course, I I haven't had the opportunity to read the book, but uh, I've seen you talk about it on various television shows and things like that. I mean, it it. It's a very courageous uh, story, and uh, you know you're you're. I guess there's no adjective for the accolades that you should receive for doing it, because so many people don't ever really come forward with that kind of thing, and it haunts so many of us. Uh, you know, everyone. There's so many types of addictions in the world that's unbelievable, and uh, so I'll have to go get the book yeah. actually after this and get into it yeah people drink and use drugs for reasons you know and uh and and i carried mine around for almost 30 till it almost killed me almost 30 years and and, i mean i was sexually abused by my parish priest when i was a teenager and and i had to that's what this book is right gets into and and i've learned that people are afraid and people carry secrets to their detriment and often to their destruction right and uh, I credit with me my facing that truth and dealing with that on, and letting that secret down. And I use music to do it. Right. The song "Hold Me, Mother" was the one that saved my life in that right. regard. Um, it 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 made all the difference. Yeah. So, and I know that people are afraid, and fear is the real enemy that we face today. And um, it's you know it, it helps when you can see someone face their fears and survive it. Yeah. That's a powerful message. Absolutely. And that's why we, we wrote the book, and that's why we did what we did there. Mm-hmm. And that's why I continue to do what I do every day, because I do believe it took – like, I, I, I was able to do it because I saw people do it. Right. Yeah. And it was very powerful. And it just gave me the, the hope that I could do it too someday, and I, and I did get to it. Yeah. It, was, it didn't – you know, it was, it's, it's, it's difficult – but it's, uh, I mean, with the greatest challenges come the greatest rewards. And, and, and this was, for me, uh, the reward is I'm alive. The reward is I'm sober. I'm so right. grateful for right. that. Yeah. And I hope, like anyone who reads One Good Reason, will, will, will know that it's possible yeah. for anyone. Because if the guy from Great Big Sea can, can face his truth and stop drinking and, yeah. and, move, and move on and, and, and recovery, that anybody can. It's a simple thing to say, but it's, it's, it means a lot. You are listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean. Our guest is Sean McCann. And we'll continue with our conversation from February 23rd, 2022.
the other little question I wanted to ask is a little bit about your guitar. I mean, that's something that you bring up on your web page and and things like that. And so, this guitar that you go out with, um, how do you <laughs> how do you keep it alive after all those performances? Because boy, they sure get beat up uh, in live performances and uh, dried out. And yeah, Old Brown is uh, <laughs> he's the first guitar I ever bought. Yeah, and. Um, He's been with me for every show, and he's like me. He's got dents and scratches and holes in them, and right. all kinds of bruises. And but he's a survivor. Yeah, like me, he's he's still there. And you know, I've got I've got more expensive guitars. I've got guitars that look prettier, and right. I've got too many guitars, according to my wife. But yeah, I mean, of course. I don't. And for you know, it doesn't matter. Like. I, I buy these things; they're nice things to have, and I I play them, and they're great. And but I don't. I tried going out with Old Brown once, and it didn't work. I just he's like another. He's like a part of me now, right? Yeah. Because he's lived through so much, all the all the bad times and all the good times. Yeah. He's the friend I you know I he's the one friend that never, that stuck with me. Right. <laughs> when yeah. everything went to went to hell. Yeah. You know, and I really. Uh, I'd be lost without him. So I really, I'm often concerned. I do, I do try to keep him in. You know, I look after him. He gets a massage every day. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a bit of a diva. He knows, he knows he's worth. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's, uh, you know, music is a powerful friend, and uh, yeah. you know, with all the, all these songs I've written were with him in my hands. Yeah. Is so it, how do you, how do you explain that kind of a relationship? I don't uh, know. Hard I'm, to, hard to put a. He's priceless, is what he is. Yeah. Well, I, I play guitar too all my life and uh you know one of the things that i've often told my wife is that my dearest friend is my guitar right like i have an old martin that i like not a very expensive one but when i went into the store in toronto i was playing all these more expensive guitars and the guy said you know you might want to hold on to this one and so it's got a satin, you know, it's not finished. It's all, it's all beat up. This back is, the neck is not, it's a satin neck. So it doesn't have any lacquer on it. So it just gets from the oil on your hand, right? And uh, I mean, it, I played lots of gigs with it too. Like, but I never played in a band at your caliber, but, uh, you know, I was a weekend warrior basically. But uh, I can't, Yeah. but, you know, for the pandemic, I kind of put them all aside. I kind of lost, I lost all my gigs like we had my wife's a fiddle player and we played a lot of gigs but we lost them all and uh we just sort of said well where are we going to go right so my life took off in another direction but i the other day i picked it up and went oh my gosh you know but i have too many guitars too (laughs) i've got i don't know how to get rid of them (laughs) it's nuts yeah you can't get rid of them you can't they just you know you say i'm gonna sell them but then you just can't it's like selling your your dog or something you just <laughs> yeah. don't yeah so uh, just before you know i don't want to take too much more of your time but i'd love to talk to you about three of the songs on shanty man that i think is are really interesting and the first one is go to the sea no more and uh you mention yourself in that song and i thought at first it was original but that one just seems to have a kind of timelessness can you tell us a little bit about that song like where what year age does that come from or like because that sounds like a very old one um it's not technically a shanty i don't want to get all folk nerdy that's more it's a broadside so that came about in the late 1800s okay and would have been with the the tall ships you know the um the british america the wars british american uh, Mexican War, right? Um, the British-America conflicts, th- those kinds of sea battles. England was still at the height of its military strength, and sailors were going all over the sea. Right. Yeah. And um, so that song is is not te- not technically a sea shanty, but of sailors and of sailors' culture. Oh, okay. And it's the cautionary tale that you know befell most sailors, and it, and it's. What I liked about that song is it's very raw and it tells you in in, in d- detail what can go wrong. Like you know what can you're, you you kind of know what can go wrong if you if you are involved in prostitution and drinking. Right. But this kind of spells it out. Right. <laughs> this is like this is what happened. My stuff got stolen, and then I didn't have any money to buy warm uh, gear like uh, 
warm coat or anything, and I had, and I had to ship on board a ship, and they sent me out to the Arctic. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I'm in the Arctic and I'm freezing, right. and I have no money. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like this is all that that, that can go wrong, and um, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a power. It's a very powerful cautionary tale, I believe. Yeah. I I heard it from Fergus O'Byrne, who's a famous shanty man from 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 Ireland, but he lives in St. John's. Oh, a band yeah. called Ryan's Fancy. If you're a a trad guy, then you might want to check out Ryan's Fancy. Okay. Um, they sang it um, back in the 70s. So I kind of grew up with that song in pubs in St. John's. Okay. Where, you know, in St. John's, again, was always awash with sailors. Yeah. And yeah, this song sure. was very relevant, yeah. you know, to them. And it's right out of their, their culture, very much yeah. hardwired in. And I'd say it still applies to today. Yeah. Well, and you sing it pretty strongly so i was really drawn i mean all of these tunes are good the 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 other two that i was particularly drawn to deep blue sea really caught my attention first of all because the lead vocal in it is quite different than all the other songs and it's got that island feel but your voice is so um you know tender in a way almost and and it it contrasts so much with the other songs can you tell us a little bit about that is that a traditional tune as well yeah that's actually related to general taylor uh and if you look at the lyrics they're kind of the same they're like lost my lost to the sea later down on a golden chain so a lot of the it's kind of a a uh a variant of, of of the General Taylor Sea Shanty, that great big sea made popular. Okay. And um, but it's about a, a love song more so than uh, General Taylor was actually about burying General Zachary Taylor. If you, people think it's like a an homage to him, a respect to him, but it's really the British sailor saying, "No, we're going to catch you and kill you." <laughs> uh, this I learned from the singing of Pete Seeger, actually. Right. Uh, he he and the Weavers. Uh, popularized this version which i think is an Amer- i think what happened was this song came to america and then they reinterpreted it yeah. in the south in appalachia and they made it so that there was a love interest involved right. which i okay. thought was really cool right uh but there is a there is a relationship to general taylor and that's what caught my eye with the lyrics and then i just uh it's funny you mentioned the voice because i played it in my original version i just played a finger pick guitar right and uh at the end of the day, Hawksley didn't really know what to do with that. It was just like, well, it's done. And I'm like, well. And I, at the last minute, I, I said, you know what? What if I left, leave the vocal alone and I full, a full strum the guitar? Yeah. Like, uh, in my mind, it was like a Simon and Garfunkel kind of idea. Okay. And then he's like, yes, now I can do this. <laughs> and that really changed the tone of the song. Yeah. Well, it, I that one's really stood out uh for me on there and uh well i can't now that i know more about all of this too you know because i don't think that eric sent me all of the production notes so um and uh the last song that i don't think he has any (laughs) i don't think he knows (laughs) i got some sort of spreadsheet from him that i couldn't understand uh um that really interested me and uh you know talking about spreadsheets just before we go on to the last song i would love to talk to you a little bit if you're if you're willing to chat about it is your uh stance on spotify so you have some very powerful graphics on your twitter feed and uh on your webpage about you know what spotify is doing and it, you're the only other musician outside of uh david crosby and um that I've seen outline it quite so specifically as to what these guys are. I don't. I don't go near Spotify, but I try to buy records most of the time. But um, even for my shows. But uh, yeah, it's yeah. um, yeah, it's funny. It's become this kind of a issue with Neil Young, who I I agree with. But it's my issue predates his issues. Yeah. His issues are about uh, misinformation, right? And. Uh, Every time I talk about Spotify, I get a bunch of haters on me, yeah. like about free speech. And I'm really like, I'm that's, I I agree with Neil, but that's my argument actually started on Labor Day when I released the record because, right. and this is long before Neil started to fight about the Joe Rogan thing. It's, uh, I I literally did some digging, and I mean, as musicians, everyone just uploads it, you know, right. and gives it to Spotify because that's all we really have left. Right. 
And you know what? I did that for the last five years, too. And I looked at the sum total. It was what it was worth. And it wasn't worth very much. And I had 80,000 followers on Spotify. Right. So, you know, I started to dig a bit deeper. And I found out that streaming only pays us 0.003 cents, you know, a thousandth of a cent per stream. And that didn't seem like very much. And um, then I dug a little deeper, and I found out that Spotify is worth about $24 billion, Dollars, yeah. even though it never posts a profit. Right. But that, but it's worth this. It's valued at this. Right. And, that, and then I found out that the, the owner, who claims he can't afford to pay any more than 0.003 cents per stream, well, he's worth almost $5 billion <laughs> personally. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, I just thought that that I just think that's really egregiously unfair, and uh, I think he can afford to pay more than point zero zero three cents a stream, and I think the right thing for him to do is to do that. Yeah, I, yeah. but he won't do that unless anyone says something about it. Yeah. and I'm not saying that I have the clout to do it. I just could care less about. I have no fear of him. I don't care if I'm on Spotify. It obviously doesn't make that much difference to me financially or to my career. Right. So I'm one of the few who are crazy enough or whatever, who cares enough to actually call them out on this. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. People are, uh, people are afraid to do this, uh, especially emerging, emerging artists who, do, who are glad that I'm doing it but yeah. are afraid to do it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. They're afraid to not be on Spotify. They're terrified. Right. And maybe I should be too, but you know I'm too old for that shit. So I don't, I don't care. Yeah. And the only thing I have with Joe Rogan, who I don't even know, I've never listened to him. He's a comedian. He doesn't. I just like, how can you pay? How can you say you can't afford to pay a penny a stream to artists who you've based? There's seven million of us on Spotify, and you've based your business model on by valuing us at zero, literally. Right. But how can you then go out to go out and pay someone who doesn't even sing? You pay him $100 million to be on Spotify. Yeah. And then you have the balls to say, we can't afford to pay yeah, you a penny. Yeah, exactly. That's, un that's crazy yeah. to me. That's, I'm just yeah. calling that out. I'm drawing attention to it. And, uh, and I'm deliberately not putting Shantyman on it. Uh, you know, I've, I'm not withholding Shantyman. If anyone uh, wants to buy Shantyman, I've got 1,000 limited edition CDs available for my website. I've got less than 200 left. That'll be the end of the CDs, right. you know. But I'll always sell digital downloads, and I've even allowed for people to listen to my catalog directly on my website. I just don't want to be exploited on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. If you want, but if you can't afford to listen to, to buy Shantyman yeah. in digital or physical form, go to SeanMcCannSings.com and listen to it for free. I don't want to deny anyone that. Right. I just, you know what? I'm done letting uh, billionaires, <laughs> billionaires, yes, that's uh, right. make tell us what we're worth, and yeah. we're worth more than that. And music's more important. Oh, than absolutely. That. Well, I mean, so that's my stance. I get all sorry. I get all. No, I do, you, I do care well, about that, and I, I do get angry about it. I appreciate you talking about it because uh, so so many artists are have not, uh, you know. So yeah, it's, you know, it's ridiculous. It, I'll just add this that you know they keep the, the the news in the music industry is that it's improved over since Spotify and that they're now making record profits again. Yeah. Well, let me tell you where those profits are going. They're not going to artists. They're no. going to shareholders in Spotify, right. which I'm not a shareholder of. And not only that, but shareholders of major record companies who made these deals with Spotify and, and unleashed these catalogs to Daniel Ek. Yeah. And my own, like the record company that, that currently manages Great Big C's catalog, Warner Music, they initially owned an 18% stake in Spotify after right. negotiating yeah. to sell the catalog to Spotify to license it. Yeah. Yeah. So they're in a conflict of interest. Right. In 2018, they cashed out their shares. And they made five hundred and four million dollars. Right now, that didn't come down to the, that. Didn't get distributed to the <laughs> to songwriters the and artists on the label. Right, yeah. They were dividended out to shareholders yeah. in Warner Music. Yeah. So a very small group of people, like the one percent, yeah. they're doing really well, and they're able to say, "Yeah, we're posting profits. Dividends yeah. are high." Yeah. But guess what? It's at the expense and on the backs of hardworking musicians and artists. Exactly, and, and it's, and, and, uh, yeah, and it's taken, it's broken that connection between listener and artist. You know, when I grew up, the whole goal of having music was to own it. You know, you wanted to have records, you wanted to have the musician in your household, and it, you know, and it, this whole nonsense is, uh, well, I, I think, you know, the, we're, we're headed for more of these kinds of models, but uh, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate that you... I don't know if you've know you know David Crosby was just 
crying about this for five years about how it wiped him out and stole his legacy and his his retirement and everything. And he did numbers. Oh yeah, no, it's too. been yeah, crippling yeah, for yeah. sure. And you know what? You know what Spotify should do? They other than pay at least a penny or more. Yeah. You know what they don't do? They never. They never pay for the creation of a record. They don't. They're not. They don't even do a record. Companies have a terrible reputation for yeah. ripping people off. Right. But at least they gave you money to make a record. Right. Yeah. I mean, Spotify should reinvest. Netflix was forced to do it eventually, and yeah. they did. Yeah. Uh, they should reinvest in the creators that they exploit. Yeah. At the very least, they just. But there's no indication that they'll ever do that. <laughs> that would be expensive. Yeah. Yeah, and it would change. Records cost money. Shantyman cost fifteen thousand yeah. dollars to make. Yeah, I and can it took imagine. about. And that's with my time worth zero. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say I spent five hundred man hours on that over the course of right. six months. Yeah. Yeah, so no, it, it matters. Not, yeah, it, they're not cheap. And even if you do them in your, you know, by the time you get through all the process and if you bring in any other musicians, you you have to pay them. So, well, I've, I've had a few experiences with it too, uh, uh, certainly. And uh, I understand it's a horrible. And, you know, despite all of the uh, advances in recording and all of these things, it's still a very expensive proposition for music so locally you know it's like we the radio station we local guys here we all send our music to the radio station and of course that's sometimes tricky as well and of course now there's earshot too i don't know if you know about earshot but uh that's out there too putting people's music out and streaming it but it at least distributes it to radio stations so the 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 last song i'd uh, like to just mention to you is the song Chariot and now I don't know I guess that's a, a, a traditional song as well right but what I took away from that song was how uplifting and positive the message was because you know despite the fact that you've got to pull this weight of sort or uh, the, the the characters in the story seem to be you know um rising to the challenge and beyond if that if i'm reading the song right so do you mind walking us through that a bit uh. yeah that was one of the last that one one i chose that and i think it was in response to the ongoing pandemic at the time like it was it felt like such a weight that we had to deal with daily and we were all in this boat and we're all like sludging through and um uh, this song is an interesting one from the folk nerd in me because it exists not only as a sea shanty but also in gospel music in the South and black okay. gospel churches. Right. Okay. And uh, and it can be traced to like one pastor who started singing it, who who was uh, who who heard it. I think his family had heard it on a slave ship. So this is like this has roots in very different different like the sailor thing, but also in in uh, slavery. And in, and in gospel music. So it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's potent. Yeah. It, it's a very potent song. And uh, what I like about it, it's like biblical in nature. Yeah. And, you know, because the chariot, I keep thinking yeah. the pharaohs the pharaoh, yeah. and, and, yeah. And, uh, and these great oppression. Yeah. And, but we, it's like this refusal to give up yeah. Yeah. and persevere. This is an anthem of perseverance. Right. And, uh you know, and then I started thinking of like, there's got a real reggae vibe, which like, you know, Coxley really okay. added to that. And then Gordy just really zeroed in on that. He heard this as a song, a revolution song in and without knowing the, where the roots were from uh, gospel. He heard it from the streets of Trenchtown, like in a Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, right. that kind of powerful yeah. reggae revolution song. Okay. So it's funny how a song that, uh, that, Three people kind of came around and and and, uh, and pushed it to this new place, mm -hmm. but the message is consistent. It's like, yeah, times are tough, but we're not going to give up. Yeah, and uh, we're gonna we're just gonna keep pulling until we're there. Right. Yeah. So I just really thought that this was, you know, um, really spoke to the times we're in. Right. And the thing about shanties too, <laughs> again, I am a total folk nerd. How do I know all this stuff? Yeah. So sea shanties were often uh, a voice for the oppressed. Right. Much like uh, reggae, much like gospel, sea shanties, like most people on, on ships weren't there by choice. They yeah, were press ganged, stolen. Yeah. They yeah. were beaten. Right. They were horrible conditions. Yeah. And um, they had little choice. Yeah. 
you know, if, if any. And what they could do while they sang these songs to get the work done, as long as they got the work done, the captains didn't really care what they said. Yeah. Yeah. So they often were a way for these people to voice their political opinions about kings and queens and certain yeah. captains and these things. And it, and it was the way they could speak their minds yeah. and get away with it. Yeah. So like, so, yeah, like Grimm's fairy tale. That's a traditional uh, – uh, yeah, it's a traditional um, – these are traditional songs, but they still apply today yeah. where people do want a voice and want to be heard. So this is a great song of revolution yeah. in the Bob Marley sense. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great, it's a standout song on a great album. So I want to thank you so very, very much for giving me the time, and I really appreciate meeting you, and uh, I hope your little tour goes really strong. I don't know, are, are they selling tickets in advance, or is it just sort of show up at the door, or how does it... Yeah, no, you can buy tickets in advance, Huntsville Festival of the Arts, Algonquin Theater. That's where you'll pick up your tickets online or at the box office there. And uh, yeah, come on out, you know, like let's let's have a kick at the St. Patrick's Day celebration without the hangover. We're going to have fun. (laughs) I wanted to tell you just to share one small thing with you. So I'm reading, I I set myself the task to the COVID to read aloud Moby Dick. So I'll be able to... uh, put your songs on as a soundtrack (laughs) you got the right soundtrack for moby dick for sure (laughs) all right thank you very very much sean it was really a pleasure to meet you take good care yeah listen tag me when you put it out and hopefully you can put this out before the show i I will indeed i will i will do that i'll it'll be the week before just where's my calendar but great uh, thank you i'm on a thursday night so i'll put it out plus i do a show for blues and roots radio so i'll try to get it up on there as well all right thanks a million man thanks for your time thanks for listening man i appreciate lovely to talk to you i'll see you soon i hope okay take care bye-bye You've been listening to Behind the Drive Shortcuts. My name is Douglas McLean. Our guest today was Sean McCann in conversation with me on February 23rd, 2022. I want to thank Sean for taking so much time. Such a generous man. It was a wonderful conversation, too. This is Hunter's Bay Radio's podcast. <laughs> <laughs>